amazing how songs get stuck in your head uh, and associated with, with different events in life. The song we just uh, sang will forever, I suppose, remind me of when I was in preaching school one morning as I was making my way uh, there to the school. The weather looked pretty ominous. And uh, when we got into chapel that morning before school began, the wind started blowing and it was the 100 mile an hour straight line wind that went through Memphis at that time and did a lot of damage. But the song leaders, uh, since the power was out, just got up and just started singing songs from the hymnal that reflected bad weather and destruction and tempest raging. And so that that song is etched in my mind uh, for that, that reason. In the announcements just a moment ago, Cletus mentioned that we have the fortunate privilege of watching uh, three young men graduate from high school and enter into uh, the next phase of, of their life. A pretty big phase, one of the most significant steps that uh, you will make as you make your journey through life. And I feel that it would be a missed opportunity not to just think about that time period and that transition from a biblical perspective uh, this morning and, and hopefully provide some insight from Scripture that would be helpful to you as you make that uh, transition. And not just for those who are graduating high school, but maybe some who have recently made such a transition and are still working their way through the beginning phases of what's next in life. And so that will be the subject of our consideration this morning. The sermon's entitled, What Then? And it's based off of an account of a conversation that I heard or recently or read about between a father and a son who was making a similar transition. And I'll read that account at a later point in the, the sermon. As I think about what faces a graduate, one who is finishing up school and making the, the next step in life, I think about, for some odd reason, you might think, maze puzzles. I enjoyed working uh, maze puzzles as a child. And there's a difference between how a young child approaches a maze puzzle and someone who's a little bit older. Uh, a young child will see that first opening, maybe it says start here, and they'll just put their pencil there and start drawing. And inevitably, in all likelihood, they end up at a dead end and have to backtrack and work through and try to find the exit of the puzzle on the other side. As you get a little older in life, you learn to look at that puzzle and assess it first before you ever put pen to paper. And as I think about this transition, this period in life, and not just this one, but many others as well, it's important to do some pre-assessing and to put some forethought into what's next and not just enter into 
life haphazardly uh, without uh, thinking in advance about it. Life is a lot like that puzzle. Uh, You can get into a pickle or you can run into a dead end or a very difficult point if you don't look at the big picture in advance. And it's important because the next step that you take right now from this point has some bearing or some impact on every step that follows. And I want to look at some of those steps and hopefully provide some insight, again, from the Bible relative to each of these. Perhaps the next step after finishing the 12th grade or high school for many is higher education, some form of college education. And so I would offer in the first place this morning, higher education can be a valuable boost to your adult journey. You know, gone really are the days when a young man learned a trade from his father directly. In days gone by, that's really, that really was the classroom of higher education. A father would pass on a trade to the son, to the child, and the child expected to continue that same course in life. This was the case with Jesus. In Matthew chapter, or Mark rather, chapter 6 and verse 3, the question was asked, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not these his sisters here with us? And in Matthew chapter 13, 55, the question, a similar question is asked of him, is this not the carpenter's son? And so Jesus learned an earthly working trade from his father. In some places, I suppose, today that learning experience uh, continues. But we live in a society and a culture today where it is completely acceptable for a young man or a young woman, for that matter, to take a completely different course than the one that uh, their parents Uh, the one their parents chose. And it's perfectly okay to do that, but that often involves going to more school and entering in in an environment that can be, quite honestly, a blessing and a curse. Uh, it can be a blessing because it can conv- it can provide you the education and the knowledge to move on and to pursue the career that you want. But it can be a curse because you are likely going to enter into some classrooms, some settings, and some environments where your values, your principles, and your Christian upbringing is not shared uh, by the majority. And you might enter into an education environment where you're taught that lofty thinking that rises above the pages of Scripture is the more noble and worthwhile cause. But I would remind of some of the things that Jesus and his apostles and other inspired writers spoke of relative to knowledge and the pursuit of it. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul said, Beware lest anyone cheat you 
through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Any knowledge, any level of education or understanding that takes you away from God is not wisdom. It's not good knowledge. And I'm just telling us this morning that many of the environments that we are required to sit in to get the knowledge and to get the degrees that are required to move on in our society and culture today are not always favorable to the things the scriptures say about God, about wisdom, and about knowledge. In Proverbs 26 and verse 12, the Bible says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so in all of your gaining knowledge at the next level, don't allow that to move you away from the God that you have come to know through the education you've been given by your parents and in the Bible classes you've set in and in the sermons that you've heard from this pulpit and others. And so perhaps your life course takes you through the halls of college and university. And perhaps you succeed at that. The question that I put before us this morning is, but what then? Because that's not an end in and of itself. It is one step on a path that you may choose to move further through the life that you were blessed to live. And so what then? after college or university. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm going to get a job. And so our second observation this morning is the job you choose can open a world of possibilities for you. Work is essential and it, it's good, quite frankly. You know, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul addresses a group of Christians who were eagerly anticipating the second coming, and it appears as though many of them had stopped working. They, they decided, we're, we're just going to get ready for this. It's kind of like a group of people watching a shuttle launch or uh, some aircraft being launched a spacecraft being launched into space. Everything else just stops and they're sitting and they're gazing to watch this. It appears as though people had taken that kind of approach to the second coming. We're just going to stop working and we're going to eagerly anticipate uh, the Lord's return. And while that's a good and noble interest, we don't know when that will be. And so we're to work and we're to labor today in anticipation of that day because God expects us to labor. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. We're not to sit around and do nothing. We're not to sit around and mooch off of someone else. We're to move forward and advance in life and work with our own hands and make a living in that way. And so work is essential, but it's also good. 
It's a good effort in which to be involved, and it's a good opportunity in a way to glorify and honor God with the ability, the freedom, and the things that he has blessed us with. I think of Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, where Paul said, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You may end up in some situations where you're working for people who don't share your values, who aren't Christians, and who, quite frankly, make it very difficult for you each day. You might find it difficult to work uh, for them. You have to start somewhere. Sometimes the places where you have to start are just difficult and challenging. And Paul says, when you find yourself in such a situation, do it heartily. How do I work for this person who maybe is a godless person? Well, I can work for that person as if I'm working for the Lord, he says. Verse 24, knowing that it is from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Never forget that ultimately you're serving God. When you labor with your hands and you work for another, ultimately you're working for God, and that's good and that's noble uh, to do uh, just that. But even though work is necessary, even though it is something good, we also need to be reminded that it's possible to overemphasize work. And it's possible to get in over our heads, really, with regard to work and for that to become the focus of our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. It's better, the wisdom writer says, to have enough for life and to be happy than to be in pursuit of great amounts to the point that you bring misery uh, to your life. Really, that's the pursuit of wealth and riches will lead you to a sense of poverty, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. So work is good, work is necessary, but it's possible to overemphasize the work that we do. Proverbs, or Psalm rather, verse chapter 127 and verse 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his, blessed, his beloved sleep. Now the point of this passage is there's to be balance in our life. God intends for us to rest. And to have downtime, he doesn't expect us or desire of us to pour all of our energy into working, to rise up early, to stay up late in the pursuit of the things of this life, because that will lead to the bread of sorrows. It's good to get educated in order to pursue a career. It's great to find a career that you can work in and labor and be successful, but let's be reminded that it's possible to overemphasize the work that we do. And I would point out simply this as well, that verse one, right after verse two, or right before verse two says, 
except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, who build it? And so contextually, we're talking about the groundwork that we lay for our home. And you might remember that I said every step that we take today has an impact on the one that follows. That's true of the education you pursue. That's true of the work that you choose to do in this life. And so the job you choose can, be a, can open a world of possibilities for you. Maybe you land a great job without losing control of your life. That would be good. But what then? You've gotten the education that you needed. You found the job that you desired and you're able to work and do the very thing that you love from a career perspective. But what then? What comes after that? And what is the next step? that you might pursue in this life? Well, you might say, well, I'm going to get married and I'm going to start a family. You might not be thinking that also, but let's just suppose for a moment that's the course that you're, you're planning. And so marriage and family offers great happiness to your life. It really does. To be married and to establish a sense of family and home, again, can be a great source of happiness and blessing. Companionship in and of itself is a great blessing. You will likely remember in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God said of Adam in his situation after being created, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God made a helpmeet, a suitable companion for Adam. And Adam began to enjoy companionship in marriage with his wife Eve. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Vice versa, at least we, we men hope that it would be said as well that she who finds a husband finds a good thing. We'll just assume that uh, that verse can be flipped around that way. But that companionship will add a wonderful dimension uh, to your life as can be attested by many here this morning. And maybe the development of marriage and family and your pursuit of happiness in that way will lead you to the point of a larger family with children who are loved and cared for by you and your spouse. That also is a great blessing to your life. The psalmist said in Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so also the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has his quiver uh, full of them. Family. God's instruction to man was to be fruitful and multiply. It is an option that you have and a way in which you can glorify and honor God and add joy and happiness to your life to build a family. 
but to build a house based upon the instruction that God has given for this institution. Every step you take starting today will have an impact on the steps that you take tomorrow. We continue to emphasize that point. And a family focused on the will of God and glorifying and honoring him can be a great blessing. But an unfocused family will pull you in many unmanageable directions. It's kind of like that maze puzzle where you don't put any forethought into it. You just start drawing. You hit walls here and there without proper planning and forethought. And so I would encourage you that as you not, not wait till that day, but as you think today about what's next, the then what or the what then, and you think about the day that you will have a companion and the day that you begin to build that family, don't wait until then to think about how your steps will impact the success of those choices in your life. Make sure you're thinking about that even today. And so at some point, not, I'm not suggesting this is tomorrow or anything. Don't, I don't want the parents to get frantic here. <clears throat> or you, for that matter. You find love. You find a mate that is going to be helpful to you. You establish your own happy, God-honoring and glorifying family, hopefully. But what then? What comes after that? That's not the end within and of itself. What's next after that? Well, eventually, dying is on every individual's life agenda. Dying, having lived a fulfilled life, is a great closing chapter for life. And I'm not trying to get you way ahead here in your thinking, but again, every step you take, every line you draw through the maze puzzle of life has an impact on what follows. If your life and my life for that matter and the life of everyone in this room this morning had an expiration date on it, it would be something along the lines of to be determined because we don't know what it is. We've talked about some very lofty plans this morning and we've talked about them in succession just as we expect them to be ordered in life. But there are no guarantees with that regard. James cautions in James chapter 4 and verse 14, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Maybe our plans are able to be fulfilled exactly the way that we dreamed them. And we go through life and we reach the end in a good old age, having fulfilled every plan and purpose we had, and we're writing a wonderful closing chapter to our lives. But you know the reality is most people, and Caleb said something along these lines recently in a sermon. Most people will not know the details 
of your life. They just won't. There are far too many people in this world for us to be attuned in tune to everybody's life. And so in many respects, we'll pass from this life very quietly, at least on the radar of most people in the world. The Ecclesiastes writer said in chapter 9 and verse 5, for the living know who grace the face of this earth, maybe we'll never even know you, maybe we'll not know the details of your life and how good and how successful it was, you will know, your family will know, and even above that, God will know. And so what will it look like? When you get to the last chapter of your life, what will it look like? I'm telling us in large measure it will look like what the first and second and third and fourth chapters set it up to be. And so your earthly life was full and meaningful to you and you accomplished everything that you had hoped to accomplish, but what then? What then? The only next step is the one that you take into eternity. Again, another step that all of us will take regardless of the plans that we lay out and the purposes and goals that we pursue. Just thinking back about these different steps that we talked about in light of this transition from this life into the next, the pursuit of knowledge is good, but the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts with and it ends with a fear and a proper respect and admiration for God and for his will. Physical work without spiritual work is vain. I remember a number of years ago after I got out of the military and was working in the IT arena here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was working for Verizon and was offered a, a very good job, uh, one that uh, would have afforded an opportunity to make a lot of money. But it was, I could tell right at the outset, there was a lot of work involved in it. And I was concerned about that because I was concerned about Sundays. I was concerned about time with my family, and I expressed that concern to the hiring manager, and he just looked me straight in the face. He said, listen, if you're concerned about when you'll be off work, if you're concerned about how much time you're going to spend with your family, don't take this job. So he did me a favor, but not everybody will do that kind of favor for you. They might lead you very encouragingly into a job where you will work every minute of your day to the neglect of the other things that are important in life and to the neglect of your family. Physical work without spiritual work is vanity. Marriage and family, another step in this process should be an opportunity to fulfill your life and it should be a venue wherein God can be honored and glorified, but it will not happen just automatically. 
You're going to have to put work in there and plan and purpose and assess that maze puzzle ahead of time so that you can chart out the right path. And I would encourage you to start that kind of thinking even now. Dying in the Lord, having served him purposefully in every phase of life is the only way to go from this life. On graduation night, a father asked, son, what are your plans? The boy answered, dad, you know I'm going to college. The dad said, that's right, but what then? The boy replied, well, I want to get a good job and hopefully get married. The dad said, that's also fine, but what then? The boy answered, I want to have some kids. Then after I put the required years on the job, I'll retire. And the father replied, that's good, but what then? And the boy said, well, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll get old and die. And the dad said, that's right, what then? And the boy dropped his head as he realized he had plans for life on earth, but no plans for life beyond this world. The Bible teaches that as it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. I know that you are a long way away from many of these choices that we've talked about this morning. But the point that I am attempting to make, and I expect that your parents are emphasizing as well as you make this transition, is that the choices you make and the steps you take today and tomorrow will impact every next step until you reach the threshold of eternity. And so I'm challenging you to do life differently than the majority of people who pass through this life. Ask yourself the question regularly, what then? And let that be a guide to every decision that you make, thinking about how it's going to impact you when you eventually, hopefully many, many years from now, how it's going to impact your transition from this earthly life into the presence of God in eternity and use your life in a way that will glorify and honor him. That's not just for graduates this morning. Hopefully that's for all of us and hopefully there are some things in there that we can certainly apply regardless of what phase of life we find ourselves in. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to begin there. You need to obey the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of your sins. Maybe you are a Christian, and maybe you haven't put a lot of forethought into the decisions that you make and the steps you take. Maybe you've been challenged this morning to start doing that, and maybe your life has been lived in a way that requires you to do something publicly, to make a public acknowledgement of the wrong that you have lived and the change and the right that you want to pursue, and to seek the help of brothers and sisters and family here who are ready to encourage you and help you in any way that we can. We're going to sing a song to encourage, and if you have any need that we can help you with, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.